How much has Scott service changed since its first year in Seattle to now? What is the likelihood the Mariners will retain Mitch Hanniger this offseason? Will ownership be willing to invest further in this club this winter? Ryan Divish of the Seattle Times joins me to answer all that and more. Plus, Colby will give you prospects 10 through 6 in the Mariners farm system on today's episode of Locked On Mariners. Let's get into it. Colby, hit it. You are Locked On Mariners. Your daily Seattle Mariners podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yo, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Locked On Mariners podcast. This is Thursday, August 18th, 2022. And thank you so much for making us your first listen of the day. We are free and available on all platforms with new episodes dropping every Monday through Friday. I am your host, Sadie Gonzalez, joined as always by my co-host, Colby Patnode. We cover the Mariners over at InsideTheMariners.com for Fan Nation over on the Sports Illustrated Network. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Mariners. Follow Inside the Mariners at Inside Mariners. You can follow me at Dane Gonzalez, T-A-N-E, G-N-Z-L-Z, and Colby at cpat11 at cpat11 be sure to also check out our patreon over at patreon.com forward slash control the zone we post two additional podcasts on there every single week again that is patreon.com forward slash control the zone and if this is your first time joining us here on the locked on mariners podcast welcome to the show if you like what you hear give us a follow or subscribe wherever you're listening to this and if you're watching us on youtube hit the subscribe button turn on the notification bell and give this video a thumbs up we greatly 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 appreciate it and we have a wonderful show on tap for you today got ryan divish of the seattle times joining us we're also going to be going through prospects 10 through 6 in the mariners farm system but first let's check in with ryan divish of the seattle times and talk some mariners Joining me now is Ryan Divish, who's in the midst of his ninth season covering the Mariners for the Seattle Times. And Ryan, first of all, I want to thank you for hopping on for a few minutes to uh, talk some ball with me. You know, this season is shaping up to be unlike any other for you in your career. Unfortunately, for obvious reasons, you haven't had the chance to cover playoff baseball in Seattle. But now it's starting to look like that might actually change here in the fall. So as that reality starts to become increasingly more likely... Are you excited or does this feel a little daunting? Is it just business as usual for you? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Um, Yeah, it's, it's definitely, well, it's not un, completely unfamiliar territory. I think in 18 and even last, well, not so much last year. I mean, the last three weeks of last year felt like maybe there was a chance. 18, you know, they were 12 games up on the second wild card by July, in July. So you're thinking, okay, mm-hmm. this is, this is probably going to happen. Um, 16 as well. I mean, there've been times, I, I don't know that they've ever been in a better position this late in the season since I started covering the team. Um, I don't know that I, yeah, I, it's just different. I mean, I kind of joke, uh, my girlfriend lives back in Montana, so I'm so used to being off in October to make plans that, uh, this is really different, you know? Um, but no, it's, it's cool. I mean, like it's, in one sense, it's good for um, for the paper, and we have a ton of people reading right now. Everything we write, everything we write about the Mariners is a big deal. Um, so that part is good, um, mm-hmm. and you know, it's good. And I have a lot of friends that are Mariners fans, and they're diehard Mariners fans, and people I know mm-hmm. in the organization. So it's good to see them enjoy this because you know they've been waiting a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much as soon as you know the win streak uh, started, we you know, saw those numbers go up for ourselves as well here on, on the show. You know, there's just a, a buzz growing. And I think, you know, also right now people are maybe looking to fill a void that the Seahawks have left now 
um, because of everything that's gone on there as well. So, you know, you're kind of starting to see the city develop into more of a baseball town, which I think, you know, that's it's always been a sleeping giant on that front. That it's always been a, a baseball town really at its core. And so you're starting to see that really start to come out. It's really exciting stuff. It's really, really exciting stuff. Um, you know, let's talk about you. Know, you kind of talked about how different things are right now and how different that this actually, you know, is even just compared to some of the other years as of late that they've, you know, made this push towards the postseason under Scott's service. And, you know, you've been around Scott service and Jerry DePoto since the, the beginning of this tenure. You, you've, mm-hmm. you've seen them kind of grow up in this, uh, you know, during the first stint before the rebuild, then through the rebuild prospe- uh, process and to now. And with service specifically, you know, this is his first managing gig. Um, you know, a lot of people had questions and concerns about that when he was first hired. Uh, now you fast forward seven seasons later, he's you know one of the winningest managers in, in Mariners history. He's got 500 plus wins now. How much have you seen Scott Service maybe change or, or not change? Maybe he's the same guy since 2016. Oh, I, he's definitely changed. Um, it's funny. I we always joke uh, about all the managers we've covered. Um, I was an intern at the News Tribune in 2000. Mm-hmm. So I covered Lou that year uh, a little bit, the games I did. And then when I came back to the News Tribune in Tacoma in 2006, it was Mike Hargrove uh, in 06, 07. I had to cover the day he retired. So then it was McLaren. McLaren mm-hmm. was fired. It was Jim Riggleman. And then Wakamatsu. Wakamatsu was fired. Darren Brown. Uh, uh-huh. Eric Wedge, Lloyd McClendon, Scott Service. So Scott Service is the only one since Lou Pinella to get a uh, contract extension. He's got two. Mm-hmm. He's definitely different. I mean, I think initially Scott came from the idea that he was going to control everything, control the message, control kind of the narrative that he wanted, what we were going to write about, um, control everything about, you know, he's got, he's got a, he loves football, a little bit of background. He's got a football background. He loves the Packers, you know, mm-hmm. he loves the coaching aspect of football. And I think he, he thought he was going to be able to kind of go in and, and establish his culture and, and do things the way he wanted similar to what he did in Texas as the uh, the director of player development. But the difference is, is minor league guys versus major league established veterans. You couldn't do that. And I think he understood that quickly. He's adjusted. I mean, he really has kind of just embraced the um, let players be who they are and, and what they want to do mm-hmm. as long as it stays within the boundaries of what they're trying to accomplish. So now I, you know, I know he, He's friends with Pete Carroll. He goes up and checks out Seahawks practices and stuff. And Pete is very uh, open about letting guys be themselves. Scott is that same way, but there is a line that you have to stay on and and, and commit to in terms of preparation. And they've done that. I think the big thing for Scott is is he's relaxed a lot more in that. Mm-hmm. You know, he just understands kind of who he is as a manager. And I think that probably the best aspect about him is that he does he continues to evolve. He looks at it like, well, you know, I'm not, you know. I've reached this point or I've done this, then it's only my way. He continues to kind of evolve as a manager and what he believes in and what he learns from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's kind of talk about higher up in the organization now. You know, you've been, um, you know, as, spo- as as outspoken as you probably can be about ownership and about, um, you know, spending and, and all that. You know, what do you think Mariners owner John Stanton's reaction to success this year would be heading into the offseason? Do you think he'll be motivated to invest further in this club or do you think he'll, you know, see that success with a payroll hovering around $100 million and say, you know, we can make it work with us? 
Um, I, I guess maybe you see how far they go, but what, what you realize, mm-hmm. um, what you, I'm sure he'll realize it. I'm sure Jerry DePoto will make it clear. Is it's like, it's one thing to make the playoffs and and, and get there. It's a whole other thing to to have success and mm-hmm. what puts you over the top. You know, the Mariners have a nice roster and they've kind of done it in different ways to get to this point. But you know, you still have to. Um, it still needs to be supplemented. Like if you look at the rosters of the other top teams, you can see where it's lacking in a lot of ways that they pieced it together through the fringes and different moves is, is, is nice. But I've always kind of said with the Mariners and it was back to Howard Lincoln versus John Stanton, um, all that. And it's, it's essentially a lot of the same ownership group um, just who's in charge of it. Now there's a lukewarm feeling about, success or winning yes they want to win they say they want to win i believe they want to win but there's a level of i guess courage or a level of risk that has to be involved to win whether it's a financial investment a prospect investment you know mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff and i don't know that the mariners have always been willing to take that risk mm-hmm. you know put your cards on the table go all in and say hey here's what we're gonna do and part of it too is just like they can't you know I think they've tried to get free agents the last few years. They just haven't been able to sell it for a lot of different reasons, whether it's, I think a big part of it is the lack of success. You know, they haven't been to the Mm -hmm. postseason in 21 years, Um, the travel, the location, you know, reputation, organization, all these different things factor into it, but they haven't been able to get that guy. I think they've tried, but then again, you know, they're, I didn't, you know, they have to know that they have to pay a little bit more. And I think they do, but uh, you know, Mm -hmm. Two years ago in 2020, after the 2020 season going to 2021, they, you know, they could have went out and got Colton Wong if they they could have had Colton Wong as their second baseman if they just were willing to give mm-hmm. one more year on the contract. They could have had Taiwan Walker to help supplement a rotation if they were just willing to go one more year on a contract. And mm-hmm. Kevin Mather and and John Stanton decided that that's not what they wanted to do. And mm-hmm. conversely, they didn't make the playoffs in 2021 when they could have. They could have that team could have been significantly better if you look at the problems they had at second base and you look at the problems they had with their starting rotation it could have been significantly better had they made those investments they didn't and so like you know if they get to the postseason this year however well they do are they going to continue to invest in what's going on moving forward because you Mm -hmm. know they can't just sit there and stay stagnant and say this same roster is going to produce the same thing i think people don't realize how difficult it is to go 36 and 15 over mm-hmm. a stretch and and how special this is but you can mitigate the regression of your roster by adding to it by supplementing it by going out and getting more pieces and and you know capitalizing because they're making a ton of money right now you know the yankees mm-hmm. series all these games are sold out and that's they're making revenues beyond i think even what they probably projected this year you're listening to the Locked On Mariners podcast. Thank you again for making us your first listen of the day. More coming up from my conversation with Ryan Divish in just a moment, but real quick, a message from the NHTSA. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home okay. It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that can happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You totally your car, you kill someone. 
Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. So going back to what you said just uh, maybe a minute ago about, you know, that's what Kevin Mather and John Stanham wanted or, or, or didn't want. You know, I've always felt that Jerry DePoto has constantly gotten a bad rap that, you know, everything starts at the top and there, are, you know, there have been people, you know, above him in the hierarchy there that can overrule him. So do you feel do you agree in that sentiment that that uh, with that sentiment that that Jerry DePoto has kind of gotten a bad rap, especially as of as of late? I mean, yeah, I mean, well, you know, the onus falls on him because he's usually the most visible when it comes to the front office yeah. decisions. And sometimes how he says stuff can irritate fans. Yeah, like in going into the, you know, after the pandemic year, he was, he thought that they were going to be allowed to spend more than they did that offseason. Like his ideal thing wasn't trading for Rafael Montero and and acquiring, you know, like Keenan Middleton as their, their fixes and, giving the job to Dylan Moore at second base and Shed Long. That's not what they wanted to do. They, yeah. they, went, they went after Colton Wong. They went after Tommy Listella. They were looking at a myriad of different relievers, you know, Taiwan, all these guys. They, they wanted to, and they were told, no, you cannot. We're not going to do this. This is your limitation. They didn't want to spend. He was, they, were, they had a budget that they thought they were going to get. And Kevin Mather and John Stanton gave him a budget that was significantly less and he wasn't able mm. to spend the way he wanted to. And, mm. and consequently, you know, so, you know, and, and the thing is, is like, I think they have plenty to work with this year. You know, they went after Kevin Gosman hard. They didn't get him. They spent the money on Robbie Ray. They went after, they went after Trevor story very hard and they offered, you know, I think it wasn't quite as much as, as Boston, but it may be, you know, five, 10 million less, which, you know, you could adjust to. Mm-hmm. But they couldn't get him, and they just couldn't get it. They didn't go as hard after Chris Bryant, um, and they never really even got on the table with with Marcus Simeon, you know. And there's a lot of rumors about how that was going to work. Whether you know Scott Boris, who's Simeon's agent, was trying to manipulate the whole situation, mm-hmm. hoping that if they didn't, uh, that if Simeon went to Texas, then the Mariners would be forced to sign Chris Bryant, which they weren't going to do. So, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of different things. I mean, like. You know, there's some blame that falls on Jerry and there's, you know, because that's mm-hmm. his job, you know, whether it's, yeah. you know, there have been questionable trades. The Mariners could have Freddie Peralta in their, in their rotation. They could have Pablo Lopez in their rotation, but they traded mm-hmm. him away for pieces that didn't really turn into anything, you know, and he's made some good trades too. It's, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know, like, I, I don't know on the grading scale where he's at, you know, there are different mm-hmm. things about Jerry that I think players would prefer more. But, mm-hmm. you know, the onus of blame for not getting the pieces, I don't necessarily know that that's all on him. I think he's been working within the combines of a budget, a payroll budget, the last few years. Even when he came here in, uh, was it 16? I think it was 16. Late you know, they 15. Told him, yeah, 15, late 15 for the 16th season. They said, look, you have to try and win with this team. We have all these old guys. We have all this payroll commitment. We're not going to really bump up your payroll that much. I mean, right. you look at 18, they went out. They had a good team. The A's were chasing them down. The trade deadline, they had a Cameron Maben, Zach Duke, and Adam Warren. Yeah. Because they didn't they couldn't have payroll. And they didn't have you had they had to buy a trade because they didn't have the prospects to make a deal. So that's kind of where they were at. 
Yeah. Um, going back to what you were saying about, you know, willingness to get free agents to Seattle, but what about keeping their own? Let's start with Luis Castillo. What would you say the odds are that Luis Castillo is still in Seattle beyond 2023? Um, um, maybe 20%. I mean, mm. like, he's really good, you know? He can mm. make a lot of money on the market. So mm. if the Mariners are going to do it, they need to do it this offseason. Because mm-hmm. once you get into that last year, then the free agent deadline is right there. You know, he, you can really, he can make some big time cash. I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about, I haven't looked at the free agent starting pitcher market, but I, I don't think that after 2023, there's going to be one better than him. Is there? I mean, yeah, I, I don't think I, so. I just, yeah. No. So, I mean, like, yeah, if they want to do it, they got to get it done this year. Uh, this offseason mm-hmm. would be ideal. And you know, once you get to that last year, players see the finish line and think, okay, well, now I'm going to get on the open market and really get paid. They could do it. I mean, like, it's not like they don't mm-hmm. have the money and they should. I mean, they should make every effort to do it. Maybe they can do, maybe they can buy out a couple of years. Maybe they can go heavy for a couple of years to do it, mm-hmm. but they certainly should do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what about Mitch Hanniger? Because I, I believe and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you you've said in the past that that Hanniger wouldn't be as open to signing an extension in Seattle, but you know, things have changed. Uh, you know, the, the timeline has kind of changed for the Mariners and I, and I feel like Hanniger still fits for 2023. Do you think he would be open to that? Obviously there is the, um, um, the uh, qualifying offer that they can place on him this, this winter, but do you think a a return is possible for Hanniger? I, I guess, I mean, I think Mitch has waited long enough. You know, he's older. He wants to test the market. You know, he's mm-hmm. been to this point. Like, if the Mariners really were serious about trying to sign him to an extension, they would have done it, you know, in the offseason of last year mm-hmm. um, and then pushed, you know, to buy out, could have bought out this year of arbitration, the first couple of years of free agency. Maybe, you know, I know Mitch, he's never really gotten that major paycheck because he was a late bloomer. So he's looking forward mm-hmm. to this contract. Um, and, and, you know, I think he'd like to see what's out there. I think it's kind of mutual. I don't know that the Mariners really necessarily want him back, you mm. know, rather the availability of it all. And, you know, just, you know, they're kind of, you know, they offered Mitch a, an extension after his all-star season. He turned them down, you know, because he felt, at least from what I was told, that it wasn't very, um, it wasn't commensurate with what he expected, you know, mm. and then that's when they tried to trade him to the Braves. You know, that's when they were starting to rebuild and everything. Um, mm. And they, you know, never got that finished. So I, I don't know. I mean, like, I guess. But, like, you're going to have to make a real offer. This isn't, like, hometown discount. Hey, I want to be here or this and that. You know, this guy's never really been paid. I mean, he lost a ton of money in arbitration because he got hurt. Mm. You know, the, when he got hit in the nuts. I mean, he got, he got hurt. And, you know, and mm. there's a lot of consternation about the process and that. But it cost him a ton of money. In arbitration so he wants to get yeah. paid and, and he i think frankly deserves it so we'll see I, I i just think once you've got once you've gotten to this point i don't know that um i don't know that mitch you know wants to come back i think you i mean he could but like i think he wants to see what's out there because you know yeah. he probably isn't going to have another chance to sign another multi-year deal whether it's for three years with an option or what yeah totally understandable and he deserves that opportunity to go out and see you know, see what's out there for him. Um, lastly, you know, what do you think a Julio extension has to look like for that to get done at this point? Well, I mean, like, I guess you have to kind of look at 
Acuna and how they did that and then go up mm-hmm. from that because a lot of mm-hmm. people felt like Acuna was pretty team friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know that you give him the Tatis contract, but you got to get, it's got to be more than what Acuna made significantly more. You know, they've gotten to this point. He's going to probably win rookie of the year. He's their best player. He's the, the best developed player they'll have had since Seager. You know, Seager mm-hmm. was the last all-star that was drafted and developed. You know, best overall, and he's the closest thing they've had to a superstar, you know, that's homegrown since Alex or or Griffey. So, yeah, you're going to have to pay, you know. And I think Julio, I don't know if they've offered. I'm sure, like, with all, like, with the Evan White and Kellen, they offer all these guys early to see. But I think mm-hmm. Julio always knew he was going to be really good. And he has a very smart agent and a support team around him. So they're not going to just take yeah. pennies on the dollar. But it's a weird thing. Like, do you? You obviously probably trust Julio more than like, like you know, the Padres gave Tatis all this money, and they, you know, and then they're kind of surprised, like, oh, he kind of does, mm-hmm. he did a bunch of dumb things. Well, didn't you know your guy very well? You know, did you have to do it then? Because you waited a year to see what you, you know. I think with the Mariners, they know how serious Julio takes baseball and everything else, and mm-hmm. I think the idea of not keeping him around. And allowing him to leave or being forced to trade him, you know, six years from now, that's not what you want as a franchise. And he's certainly somebody you you feel like you build around and can help attract other players to come here if he reaches his full potential. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what do you I mean, like what do you think? It's like he's in his rookie year, so you have five more years of, of club control after this year, though, you know, if he wins rookie of the year, I think it changes a little bit based on the new CBA. Um, but yeah, like you know, what is it? 30 million a year. So you go 240 million or 35 mm-hmm. million a year. Do you go like that? Do you backload it? Would he be a memo? I mean, like you're, you're talking over $200 million immediately yeah. before you even just to get it even like close. And that's probably under a shorter term, you know, maybe Julio doesn't want to be tied down for six years to one thing or another. You never know. And then you run mm-hmm. into the opt-out clause, you know, opt-outs, very rarely work well for a team other than you say Kasakuchi, I guess, but mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's, that's where you, I mean, like you have to start at 250 million and I don't, you know, I mean, I, I, I'd do it. I mean, like if you really, if you trust your scouting, you trust what you know about the kid, then you do it. Yeah. I think you do it now. You know, he's already playing at such a high level at 21 years old and you just think like he's naturally going to get better you know assuming that you know nothing unforeseen happens you know knock on wood like he's just going to improve even further so yeah i mean how much money how much money have they made off of him already he's making seven hundred thousand. he's making seven hundred thousand a year and granted he got like a one you know a pretty good signing bonus not an amazing signing bonus but a really good signing Mm -hmm. bonus he made yeah. seven hundred thousand. He made seven hundred fifty on the home run derby. I bet you the Mariners made more than seven hundred fifty thousand off of Julio, <laughs> off of Julio All Star merchandise. I mean, look at how much they promote everything they do. Everything yeah. he is a part of everything. You know, those All Star jerseys. Those are not. I mean, the markup is high. I mean, like mm-hmm. his presence alone has made them money. So yeah, you know, because what you're ultimately doing is either you're paying for what you know, you've earned or what he's lost by making the minimum or, you know, instead of paying for what he's going to future earn or whatever. So if you wait, you're mm-hmm. paying for what you didn't pay him the past years or you pay him now projected of what he's going to make you over the years. 
Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, because you know, three hundred and fifty dollar jerseys. You, you know, they're probably getting more national TV games because of him as well, because of his presence. He's yeah. obviously going to be a huge marketing force for the All Star Game next year. I mean, there's some. You know, he's just a he. He prints money. He's that good. He he just prints money. So and then, and there's a likability factor with him, um, mm. with young kids that is bringing younger kids back to yeah. the park. And, you know, and talking with people, and that's huge. Like when you have young kids that are into this, that forces families to come and pay the elevated prices. You know, like I just, I think, you know, for as much money as the Mariners are going to make off of Julio Rodriguez in one year and even in the next year, yeah, you can afford to, to push that limit because think about the dollars accrued over those years. You have this year, mm-hmm. next year you have the all-star game. I mean, you know, like if he does the, all, if he does the home run derby next year, you know how hot that ticket's going to be yeah. to go to that game. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy to think about. Well, Brian, I really appreciate you hopping on here. You guys yep. can catch uh, Ryan's writing over at the Seattle Times. You can also catch him on the Extra Innings podcast with Larry Stone. Ryan, thanks for talking, and uh, good luck to you the rest of the year. Colby Padno will rank prospects 10 through 6 in the Mariners farm system in just a moment. But real quick, a reminder, this episode of Locked On Mariners is brought to you by Liver Health Formula. Did you know the key to sustainable weight loss is through your liver? The liver is the body's metabolic furnace. It's responsible for flushing out harmful toxins and igniting your fat-burning metabolism. But thanks to modern diets, rich and unhealthy processed foods, and constant exposure to thousands of man-made and environmental toxins, most of us have overworked livers. But now it's easy to rejuvenate your liver health and reignite your metabolism thanks to Liver Health Formula by Pure Health Research. Liver Health Formula contains eight liver-boosting super nutrients like turmeric, beet and artichoke extract all of which work together to wake up a sluggish liver and turn it into a toxin flushing and fat burning machine no more bloated belly no more uncomfortable digestion no more feeling tired and low on energy all the time and best of all liver health formula makes it easier to maintain a healthy body weight long term as a listener of our show you can try liver health formula risk-free today and get a free bottle of curb fit with your order CurbFit is a safe and all-natural appetite suppressant, making it easy to say no to unhealthy foods. This makes it the perfect complement to liver health formula. Go to getliverhelp.com slash MLB to learn more. Again, that's getliverhelp.com slash MLB to try liver health formula completely risk-free and claim your free bottle of CurbFit with your order. Go to getliverhelp.com slash MLB now to get started. And just like that, through the magic of video editing, Colby is back with us. Hi, Colby. Hello. It took you roughly, I don't know, 23, 24 minutes to finally speak in this episode. So, hi. Yes. Hi. People's favorite episode ever. Or so they'll say. Mm. And the interviews will be down. Just saying. Hey, we need CPAT 11 back. No, we don't. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> My favorite YouTube interaction ever. <laughs> so, so, uh, good. so good. You know, we were Simplicity supposed to do prospect. Friend, yeah, absolutely. We were supposed to do prospect week last week mm-hmm. and uh you know, we got distracted. Whoops. Uh we took <laughs> I took one I took one episode off, so we didn't yeah, do an episode last week. Yeah, yeah, that was the anniversary. Yeah, that was uh, unfortunately. We've also had a couple of shows where there's just too much going on for us to uh to do the uh prospect list. So, I even got a DM last night uh from someone. Let me uh let me actually shout uh them out uh real quick so I don't uh so I don't forget Johnny Friedman. Uh, shout out to Johnny Friedman who uh, checked in with me last night, DM me on Twitter asking, where are the prospect lists? Well, 
prospect lists are continuing <laughs> today and tomorrow. Tomorrow, we're going to be wrapping it up with prospects five through one. But first, let's go through prospects six or 10 through six on Colby's list, starting with number 10. Juan Pinto, one of your favorite prospects in the Mariners farm system. You can't stop talking about Juan Pinto. You love Juan Pinto. 17 years old, left-handed pitcher, still pitching down in the Dominican Summer League right now. Why do you love Juan Pinto so, so much? He's 17 years old. He's already six foot four. He weighs about a buck 90. So there's plenty of room to add strength and muscle. He's already touched 92. Uh, he's sitting mostly 90 to 92. Um, he has gotten up to 94 according to some reports, but it's mostly 90 to 92. Um, there's a kind of a, I, I always hesitate to make this comp because it's, it feels way out there, but the curveball is Barry Zito esque. If you remember Barry Zito's big overhand looping curveball. Mm. So I actually mm. think there might be a Barry Zito uh, comp in here. Mm. It's a big, it's a big hang, not a hanging curveball, but it's a big 12, six curveball. Uh, the fastball is not likely to overpower, but there is still upside in the arm because, like I said, he's only 17, and yet he's six foot four and about a buck 90 to 200 somewhere in there. So there is still room for him to grow and add strength. So I think it's you know I think it's a fastball that's probably going to settle in 93, 94, big over overhand curveball, 12 six curveball. Um, Changeup is going to kind of determine whether or not he is a potential mid-rotation guy or just kind of a back-end guy with a good curveball um he's three four years away uh you're not going to see him in the big leagues anytime soon there's just so much upside to this guy and i feel like the floor is actually pretty high for a guy who's 17 years old because i really do think that with the fastball and the curveball he's at least uh you know a, a lefty reliever out of the bullpen and a pretty good one so i feel like there's a really good blend of floor and ceiling here mm. and you know, honestly, I, I like I like lefties with the big 12-6 curveballs. I love Cliff Lee. I love watching Barry Zito pitch. Um, and Juan Pinto is is that guy. So uh, hopefully he's as good as them. But uh, we'll see. But I, I just like the floor and ceiling uh, combination here. Both are high. And that's pretty rare for a 17-year-old. Tools are certainly there. And, yeah, like you said, he's 17 years old. And he's already got that frame. And he's already mm -hmm. got these tools in place. It's very, very exciting. Let's talk about another young lefty, 21-year-old, Adam Mako, who we both really like. We both really, really like uh, Adam Mako out of Canada, of course. We, uh, we of course, stand a Canadian king. Why do you like Adam Mako? He's currently in high A Everett right now. Yeah, Mako's one of those guys that most years probably would have slid down the prospect ranks. It's been kind of an up-and-down year for him. I saw him inside my top 10. I just really like the profile. Uh, what's interesting about Mako is there's kind of a, a different uh profile than than pinto Mako is probably tapped out physically he's not a big guy he's about six foot tall um you know he's not a tall lefty so that's something that's you know going to concern some people there's questions about whether or not he can get good depth on the fastball uh but the fastball is you know 93 to 96 he's touched 97 98 on occasion there's actually some good run to the fastball to his arm side he's a lefty so in on left-handed hitters um, and he actually, it plays up very well in the top, uh, upper third of the plate, um, which is good. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough when you're, uh, you know, a, a shorter pitcher to get on top of the ball. Uh, so you need to be, you, the fastball has to have life. He actually has, uh, two breaking balls, two distinguishable breaking balls, which is pretty uncommon, uh, for a guy for, you know, well, any pitcher right now, but two distinguishable breaking balls sliders a little bit ahead of the curveball, 
Um, but I would say the slider is probably his best chance at a plus secondary pitch. Uh, curveball's flashing, but it's not very consistent right now. I would give it like a 40, 45. And the changeup is, is it needs work. I, it's one of those pitches where either Mako is going to find it or he's going to have to develop a cutter or, or, or something, something else uh, to get righties out with. So, you know, it's Jerry one of those... DePoto's eyebrows just raised when you yes. said the word cutter. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, so, and there's still some work to do here with his delivery. It's not the smoothest in the world. He has missed some time this year. Um, but you know, it's, he's 22, he's going to be 22 next year. It's going to be a big year for him. I think he has to finish a double A and finish with some success. Otherwise he's going to fall way back. Um, I, if you're looking for a comp here, I think Matt Moore is actually a pretty decent comp. Uh, we've seen Matt Moore pitch for Texas out of the bullpen. I think that's kind of the where Mako's probably going to go, but that's because most pitchers are probably bullpen arms anyway. So I, I think Mako, you're kind of in honestly, one of the comps that I've read that I like and Ty, this won't surprise you at all. Uh, Drew Smiley. Mm-hmm. So mm. yeah, I, I like Adam Mako. Um, he just snuck his way into the top 10. I feel like, I could have ranked him anywhere between nine and and fifteen ish, and I would have felt like, mm. yeah, that's that's about right. So it's it's not a big gap between nine and fifteen. I just think Mako's just got just a little bit more seasoning than Pinto, and that's why I put him ahead of him. I believe Adam's father is actually a uh, viewer and subscriber to Locked On Mariners. So hello to so. the Mako family. Hello, your uh, your son is uh, very good at throwing baseballs. Yes. Lazaro Montes, who was the uh, one of the most recent international signings of the Mariners, is uh, 17 years old and is crushing it down in the Dominican Summer League right now. But he is limited to either first base or a corner outfield spot at best and most likely DH. A lot of comps to Jordan Alvarez, of course. Uh, Montes comes in at eight. How do you feel about the comps? How do you feel about Montes in general? I think comping anybody to Jordan Alvarez is is asking too much. Um, mm-hmm. You get why they're there. They're both big. They both have plus hit tools. Both have plus raw power. Um, you know, they're they're both you know they're both international free agent signings, and there are some obvious comps here. Um, it would be great if he was Jordan Alvarez. That would be amazing. Um, I actually think he's probably more current day Jock Peterson. Than he is likely to be Jordan Alvarez. Um, defensively, we'll see. Um, he's definitely, like you said, he's definitely a corner guy. Um, there's a lot of work to do here, but there's a ton of upside. If, if you can get everything going right, you know, this is a guy who's going to hit 250, 260. He's probably going to walk 10, 11% of the time, and he's probably going to drop 30 bombs at his best. Um, so offensively, there's a little bit of Mitch Hanniger here. Uh, you're looking for a Mariners comp, uh, but it's he's got to he's got to clean some things up. Mostly the swing and miss, um, and kind of controlling the zone. Which, at 17 years old, I'm not going to hold against him too much, especially when the upside is is this high. So I think he's ultimately a first baseman. Um, he might be able to fake it in right field. He's got a good arm, so it's it's not a, an arm issue. It's just a a value of where he's going to where the bat will play best. Um, I think it's going to be a little while before we see Montes. It's one of those reasons mm-hmm. I was really okay with them trading Montes, even for somebody like Brandon Drury or Rental, just because it's going to take him a while to get here. 
Uh, but the upside is so high that I feel like not having him inside the top 10 is, is just a mistake. I mean, we're, we're legitimately talking about a 140 WRC plus type of guy here. Mm, yeah, absolutely. All right. Number seven, <laughs> my favorite, the vanilla missile, Walter yes, Ford. Sir. The Mariners' competitive balance round B selection of this past draft, he has yet to uh, make an appearance in pro ball. He won't do that until next year, I believe. 17 years old. I mean, outside of uh, you know his meme ability, uh, what should uh, we be keeping an eye out for with uh, the vanilla missile? Uh, there's nothing more. Just, you know, king of memes. <laughs> next yeah uh he's he's only 17 but he's young for this draft class uh he'll turn 18 in late december i believe it is um Mm. it's a ton of athleticism a ton of arm strength uh it's a very whippy arm it's a very you know easy 97 uh slider looks like it's going to be the the out pitch here looks like a true fastball slider type of pitcher um kind of similar to logan gilbert minus the height and the extension and all that stuff just similar build, uh, profiles um the change up we'll see that's kind of kind of be the difference maker can he have that third pitch we don't know but again he's only 17 hasn't even pitched in pro ball it's not hard to to look at this guy and say you know what this is a guy who's going to have a plus slider upper 90s fastball and a fringe average changeup. it's a number three starter um and again, he's just 17. He's going to get bigger and stronger. Uh, he's going to learn how to pitch. Um, there's a chance that he is the top of the rotation arm. Uh, but again, 17, it's going to take him a little while, probably four years or so before we can start talking about him as a potential big leaguer. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's fastball value for days. It's, it's a 100 miles an hour with run, uh, with rise, uh, and a wipeout slider. That's the baseline start for him. It's going to come how good he uh-huh. is in the rotation comes down to whether or not he can, he can give a third pitch. And uh, I think the Mariners with, with just the raw clay they have to work with, with Ford, I think the Mariners can get him that third pitch that he needs. Got you. So coming in at number six is Matt Brash. And I don't think we need to uh, go on and on here about, uh, about Brash because I, I think most Mariner fans know what they're, they're getting out of Brash now because he is at the major league level and he's performing quite well out of the Mariners bullpen, especially as of late. Uh, so I think the question to ask here though, is why is he not in your top five considering that he is at the major league level now? Uh, five guys are better than him. Um, ultimately <laughs> I, I think Brash, I think he's just, put himself in a reliever role. I don't think the Mariners should give up on the idea that he can start. It's just hard to imagine how he's going to start for the Seattle Mariners going forward because he's clearly at best the fifth guy right now in the organization. And you have Bryce Mm -hmm. Miller coming up. You have Emerson Hancock coming up. You know the Mariners aren't just going to sit back and wait for those guys to come up. They will spin on pitching if they need to. It's just really hard to envision a scenario. They still have you know, they still have Marco and, and Flexen as well. Just hard to envision a scenario where he's a starter for the Mariners. So I kind of had to look at him as just a pure reliever. Um, I still factored in that he might start, which is why he's six and the stuff is insane. We saw it yes, yesterday, uh, just carving yeah. through major league hitters like they're nothing. So out of the bullpen, Brash is potentially like right-handed Josh Hader, like just untouchable mm-hmm. game over type of guy. And that has insane value, especially since he's going to go multiple innings as well. So Brash, yeah. I, I tried to factor in that he might still start while accepting the reality that if he's with the Mariners, he's probably a reliever. And that's why I went with six instead of five or four. He was close, but I just 
you know, I just, I, I had to factor in that he ultimately with Seattle, probably a reliever. Now, if he was, if you took the whole even possibility of him starting out of the equation, how much would he fall in your rankings just as a pure reliever or would he fall at all? Um, He'd probably still be ahead of like Dollard and, and Izzy. So he, he'd fall mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, I I don't think he'd fall any lower than like 11, to be honest with you. Got like you. the stuff is, is, is insanely good. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Yeah, I mean, he's still ridiculous. Like, And the yeah. fact that there is legitimate potential for him to be like an elite reliever out of the bullpen in the future, that's incredibly valuable. <laughs> that's not I think it's nothing, you know. Yeah, I think like it's, I, it's I do too. A near lock to happen. I think we're already starting to see that yep, develop definitely. right now. You know, he's starting to really figure it out. He's starting to gain confidence in himself, and he's starting to locate better. You know, now that he's actually finding the strike zone with the slider, or he's able to generate whiffs with the slider, just in general. I mean, sky's the limit with the guy. I I love Matt Brash so much. I still want them to maybe look at him as a starter, but I get it, right? There aren't going to be that many spots. They still got to figure out Marco and and Flexen. You know, they could do something during the offseason, and they, of course, have, you know, Emerson Hancock, Taylor Dollard. Those guys are going to make an appearance at some point in 2023, I would assume, or an injury or some sort of trade. So, Ty's number one prospect, Matt Brash. (laughs) It's bold. I love Matt Brash, man. And again, another, you know, we, we have to stand a Canadian King, of course. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's going to do it for our show. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Lockdown Mariners podcast. Thank you again to Ryan Dibish of the Seattle times for taking the time out of his uh, travel day to uh, join us for a few minutes and talk some ball. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. Hope you guys have enjoyed some of the interviews we've done this week. And if you want to see more interviews, uh, let us know in the comments below, if you're on YouTube, uh, or email us at lockdownmariners at gmail.com and let us know who else you would like to see on the show. Tell us, let us know. All right. So for Colby Paddow, I'm Tidy Gonzalez. Be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at uh, LO underscore Mariners. You can follow inside the Mariners at inside Mariners. You can follow me at Dane Gonzalez, it's D-A-N-E-G-N-Z-L-Z and Colby at CPAT11, that's C-P-A-T-1-1. You can also find all that stuff in the description of this episode, whether you're watching or listening to it. And thank you again for making us your first listen of the day. Now make your second listen, the Locked on MLB podcast. MLB expert Paul Francis Sullivan brings humor, passion, and unique perspective on every team and the biggest stories around the league. Follow the number one daily league-wide podcast, Locked on MLB, on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts just like us. And with that, have yourself a beautiful baseball day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Go M's. Peace.